live opinions, descriptions, and accounts expressed on the Best of Times Radio Hour are those of the hosts and the guests of this show, and not necessarily those of Town Square Media or this station. Consult with your attorney, accountant, or other professional for our show today, and also thanking those who might be listening via the internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Radio Pop application on their Apple and Android devices by accessing Shreveport, Louisiana, and News Radio 710 Keel. And also thanking those who might be listening via their subscription on their Apple Podcasts at the Best of Times Radio Hour. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn how to identify and treat various problems and injuries of the muscular skeletal system area. And Dr. Jason's joining us today to help us identify and treat various problems and injuries of the muscular skeletal system and to learn when it's time to visit that orthopedic surgeon and also learn some tips on how to stay healthy. So thank you, Dr. Jason, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Thank you for having me, Gary. It's a pleasure. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I uh, uh, received my uh, medical doctorate uh, at Michigan State University. Uh-huh. Uh, went on to do training. Okay, what is Michigan State's alma mater? I know Michigan, but what does Michigan say? MSU, okay. Yeah, MSU, we're the Spartans. Spartans, and, uh, that's, that's right. right. You're good yeah. Greek people. I'm a good Greek guy. <laughs> and, uh, that's so in Lansing. 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 Yep, Lansing, yep. Michigan. And so, um, Been there. Okay. So I was there for a while, and uh, from there I moved on to orthopedic residency training, and that was in Cincinnati for five years. From there I went on to do some sports specialty training, uh, just to kind of hone my skills and uh, you know and explore other areas of orthopedics and so uh, now I, I focus on you know really it's mainly sports related injuries which involves any, anywhere from the you know the shoulders to the toes uh, so it's an exciting field lots of uh, you know interesting things that we see in clinic and, um, and so it's uh, yeah it's, a, it's okay a I want to brag profession. about I'm going to brag about you I know a little bit about you I'm impressed that you were uh, an assistant team physician for the Denver Broncos. Wow. Correct. Yeah, it was... Uh, I bet that was a learning experience there. It, it was. And had a lot of, of different injuries. Huh? Yeah, a good bunch of guys. We had a lot of fun working together. And uh, But uh, you move on from there and um, still dealing a lot with the athletes. But, you know, uh, we also deal with our community athletes who are, you know, the recreational and uh, and even, you know, folks who are in their older years as well. We, we Thank have you a very much. spectrum of, <laughs> of folks that, we, uh, that have um, orthopedic issues, including sports related issues of the rotator cuff, etc. These are all things that the sports specialist and the orthopedic specialist would deal with. And to, and to make them become as active as possible, they can go back to those sports as well. That's Correct. Like, that's your goal. Yes. That's their goal. They want to they yes. continue to play tennis and golf and bowling, right? Absolutely. We aim to keep them active, to get them healthy, keep them healthy, and to, to maintain an enjoyable life that is full of the activities they like to And perform. maybe not those seniors that want to play football anymore that are like me, 68. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, if they do have that goal, we'll try to get them there as well. <laughs> Thank so you, Doc. Thank <laughs> you. But the other, the, the other part I want to brag about, because my alma mater, you are the team physician for Bird High School. Correct. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Good bunch of kids. Yes. Thank you. That's my alma mater and also Calvary, right? Yes. But there are two schools. Correct. Yes. Well, that's a distinct honor. That's great to have a team physician there in case anything happens. You can quickly diagnose and treat them and move them on to bigger and better things, right? Absolutely. Yep. It's a great time. Great bunch of kids. So explain to our listeners a little bit about orthopedic surgery and the type 
types of orthopedic surgeons. Explain that okay. to us. Yeah, so orthopedics, uh, the orthopedic uh, field involves the entire musculoskeletal system. So bones, joints, ligaments, uh, tendons, uh, you know, nerves. Also, we deal with a, a huge spectrum of issues of the body. And it's not, even though we're surgeons, we also uh, treat many things non-operatively. So not everything that comes to our clinic needs surgery or, uh, you know, demands anything surgical. So we also have an important role in non-operative treatment of many of these injuries. And we always try to strive for non-operative treatment if possible. But if we fail with a non-operative program uh, and the issue persists, then we often do resort to a surgical treatment in order to help patients uh, achieve recovery and to get better. And uh, so there's, it's, a, it's a very large field encompassing many different subspecialties. And subspecialties dealing with knees, hips, hands, right? Correct. That's, that's a part of the... Yes, yes, absolutely. So there, there are many different subspecialties, and your yes. subspecialty is primarily... The, the sports medicine field, and so it, it's uh, it, it's a very broad part of orthopedics, but they're all related in some way to um, to activity, and, and it's, again, not we're not talking always the high-level athletes. We're talking about a huge spectrum of patients from, you know, from children to, again, octogenarians and, and beyond, and uh, folks that would have an issue that we would have the expertise to treat. So that term of sports medicine, do you recall when it came about? Because it's a pretty new term. They wouldn't have sports medicine in the 1900s, would they? No. They wouldn't call it that. They would just call it an orthopedic doctor. <laughs> that would be correct. It is, uh, it's a bit of a newer field, and you know, we continue to, um, uh, to evolve as a profession. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, there are joint replacement orthopedists, the foot and ankle uh, orthopedic surgeons, um, the pediatric orthopedic surgeons. So there's a huge spectrum of what we cover. And we all have the, the, basic, the same basic training, but then some of us will go on to have additional training in areas that are of more interest to us. And, th- and that's why you're, you occasionally, you're board certified in certain, certain areas, yes. correct? Yes, correct. And that means extra schooling, extra training, and extra, extra on, the, on the, I hate to say on the job, but actually practicing and doing, following other surgeons have done this, right? Yes. You learn by your peers. Correct, yes. We, we go through residencies learning from our peers, and uh, so they take us on and train us and teach us. And uh, from there, we would sometimes go on to uh, subspecialized training. For example, I went on to do some sports medicine subspecialty training, which helps me to be better at what I do. Uh, and uh, so th- there's a you know several ways to kind of get to where the end stage when we're a practicing orthopedist. And um, uh, but board certification is an important part of just um, assuring that you are you know skilled and, and credentialed. Uh, you know, appropriately to you know to treat patients, to treat that particular ailment, that particular scenario, that's that problem. Yes. So, in in your discussion here, I mean, I I love it that. Uh, uh, what are some basic tips tips to stay healthy that you have on? Well, obviously, we want to always ensure that we're maintaining a regular activity routine. And so that may be, really, I encourage patients to pursue whatever activity they enjoy because if we're doing something we love or enjoy, it's more likely we're going to continue on with that. Forcing somebody into a routine that they don't enjoy is likely to have limited success as they, you know, uh, would only pursue that for a limited time. Um, you know, there's a, there's a huge range of activities, but a daily activity can help, you know, from many different standpoints. Body weight, which can reduce things like diabetes, you know, heart disease. There are things that 
respond well to exercise, including bone density, which is an important part of our, our care of patients is the, the, you know, the skeletal system. And so um, regular activity is an important thing. And always you know, making sure that we're, you know, we're stretching and warming up, we're cooling down afterward, we're trying to make sure that we do the, you know, do the right things at the right time in order to make sure that we stay healthy so we can minimize injuries, minimizing overuse injuries. If we're out bike riding, making sure we're using our helmet. If we're driving, using our seatbelt. So it's not just sports activities. It's a lot of this stuff that's common sense on a day-to-day basis to make sure that we are staying healthy and pre- preventing ourselves from having an injury. I was going to say preventing because sometimes uh, after... Uh, without that helmet, if you have a you know a fall, it's going to be serious, more serious than if you had a helmet or you know, or had a protection devices or correct. And and probably I've, I've noticed that some of these bicyclists wear certain like skin tight to help them from abrasions and and and, and scrapes. Right? Yeah, That's there are, there are many different um, you know protective types of equipment they can use. You know, padding. Um, the helmets are would probably say the, the more important part of for any sport where you're at risk for having a fall or contact, for example, you know, the football players. But uh, concussions and head injuries are, you know, have become more prominent in the media. And so it is something that can be very serious and even a career-ending injury when we have repeated concussions or even a single concussion. And so always using the proper protective equipment. You know, if you're a rollerblader or a roller skater or whatever it may be, you know, wrist protection can be an important addition. Knee pads and knee protection as well. So we always want to make sure that we're thinking smart and planning ahead and always trying to uh, ward off any injury by using the proper type of equipment. And while I got you right here, I... I uh, I'm talking about seniors here. I mean, I'm sure even younger people, too, is they need to be careful about what medication they have when they're doing their exercise routine. I've heard recently some uh, individuals that were taking their medicines and they were getting lightheaded. They were still doing and they tripped and fall and, and hadn't broken a hip. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are the blood pressure medications are certainly one of those ones that we want to be cautious with. Um, you know, of course, appropriate blood pressure control is very important to protect the heart heart, the brain, from things like heart attack and stroke, but there are also certain medications that uh, can at times lower the blood pressure. Um, if we're dehydrated, we can have, you know, um, worsening of that type of scenario. Um, and also, they can. some of these can also cause dehydration, so some of the diuretic type uh, antihypertensives. And so, we do want to make sure that we're speaking with our either orthopedist or uh, our primary care physician to decide someone who is active that they're on a medication that would be appropriate for them and, uh, you know, so that we're not going to create issues by prescribing medications that are intended to help the patient. Okay. So let's talk about, you were talking about the non-invasive treatment of orthopedic injuries and, and et cetera. Well, let's, let's go into those a little bit. I think I, I, I'm impressed when physicians think about that first and not using the scalpel and the, the cutting and the et cetera, but, you know, that's the last resort, hopefully. Correct. That's yes. not the should be not the first resort. We're going to come in there and cut, right? Correct, yes. Uh, you know, most of the time we're seeing patients for an issue that does not require surgical treatment, at least on the first visit. Uh, now, certainly if we have a bad fracture, open injuries, dislocations, things that are um, potentially more serious. There are cases where surgery is the right answer from the initial encounter with the patient, but we certainly try to avoid that and always are trying to uh, you know, optimize care from a non-operative standpoint. Now, again, the good news is that when surgery is needed, we do have great advances in minimally invasive and arthroscopic techniques, so small incisions, which would mean you know, less morbidity, less risk to the tissues, less incision healing, and hopefully a quicker recovery. So we have a lot of arthroscopic techniques 
legs, for shoulders, ankles, hips, wrists, uh, you know, elbows. So we can use these minimally invasive techniques in order to try to help the patient. And each different subspecialty of orthopedics has different comfort with those types of minimally invasive procedures. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but a lot of this is also high-tech apparatus. I don't know what you call the the, the, the screws, the plates, the, and, and it's remarkable. Uh, yeah. I got to visit them at LSU Med here, and they gave an, an in-service to the public about some of this. Just totally remarkable, the technology. It, is we, have, we, we have some, some pretty significant advances advancements in uh, the implants we use, so the devices we use, and, and uh, you know whether it's for fractures or for joint replacements. Um, we have some great advancements in the field of sports medicine as well, better implants to achieve the, you know, the, the desired outcome, whether it's anchors for repairs uh, and, and different things of that nature, but some really tremendous breakthroughs in technology that help us to do our job. Okay, so let's go through some of the suggested home treatments for orthopedic injuries. I mean, I know one of my listeners are going to probably say, well, Doc, should I take Advil or should I take Tylenol for my pain and my and my uh, my shoulder, my pain on, on my leg, whatever? So, what should this individual take? And it's, it's a great point that sometimes folks do struggle with. Okay, what when I have an injury, what do I start with? Right. Um, we always come back to the to the uh, RICE acronym. So rest, ice, compression, elevation, and that's you know rest. Okay, rest. Ice first. Ice would be great to reduce inflammation and swelling, so that's always a very important addition. Okay. Compression if there's swelling, so whether it be an ACE wrap or something similar, or a sleeve for a limb. So we want to try to contain that swelling, reduce the swelling. And um, elevation. Elevation is always important as well for, for any extremity where we have an injury. So if we elevate above heart level, that can help to keep that swelling down as well. So above heart level. Yes. And so those, those individuals that... L- that might have a, an injury to their knee or to their leg. They need to rest. They need to, and then they're in their recliner. They need to pull their their feet correct higher than their heart. It's yes. It's always a safe approach to start with for any injury. If you're uncertain as to the extent of it, reducing weight bearing on, for example, a leg would be reasonable as well. We don't want to just push through and, and end up you know having worsening of an issue. Sometimes it's hard to know. Is it a fracture? Is it a sprain? Especially with ankles, it can be tough to tell. So if there's uncertainty, keep weight off of it, protect it, and then uh, you know you work from there to see how it responds. Okay, follow-up question on compression. Um, I'm sure you've seen them. Some individuals think the tighter compression, the better. Is that true or false? We don't want to compress to the point where we're obstructing any you know arterial inflow, and we also don't want to obstruct venous, the, the venous blood from outflow of the area. So... You know, it's within reason, and uh, we don't want to strangulate the extremity. We don't want to have a tourniquet effect, but we want to give some gentle compression that would allow uh, con- containment of the swelling of an injury, especially early on after the injury. The first, you know, three to seven days is that time where we want to be using these techniques a little bit more, um, uh, you know, frequently than thereafter. Okay, so. so explain to our listeners what the compression does. And I'm going to tell you what one individual told me. It, Gary, I do the compression when my ankle swells because I think it pushes all the fluid out of that area where I have my edema, my swelling into my system. Is that what it does? So it can prevent accumulation of fluid in the joint and and how effective it is is probably debatable. Certainly, as long as it's done um, in a reasonable fashion, I think the chance of harm with that is very low. But it can prevent collection of blood or fluid in a joint. For example, if we have a rupture or a disruption of a ligament in a knee, giving some compression can help to minimize 
further fluid collection in the joint. There are also techniques to use compression in order to remove edema and fluid from the limb. For example, knee-high graded compression hose, which many folks use that, for example, would have um, congestive heart failure or renal failure where we have peripheral edema of our limbs, which is the swelling of the limb in the soft tissues themselves rather than in a contained space like a joint. And so those types of compressive effects can help to eliminate that fluid and try to um, you know, remove it from the tissues and allow the body to resolve that more quickly. So, but but what you're telling us, it yes, it does, but don't don't um, super compress it. That you can try to to, to smush it together. If you don't need to intensify that compression, Correct. right? Yeah, we we shouldn't be seeing any significant changes in limb color or oh, sensation. Okay. So That's we don't want to see numbness. We don't want to see a dusky looking limb. We don't want it. Uh, again, we don't want to strangulate. We want to have a comfortable compression that we can still do activities in, like move the joint, have full motion of the joint, and still be functional. That would be, you know, the key is monitoring the sensation, the color, the temperature of that limb to make sure that we're not having, seeing changes in those things. And if uncertain and someone were uncomfortable, say, you know, hold off on that and then just seek help and go further guidance okay. on that. Go back to ice. So yes. ice is first, then do you put a warm pack on it after that? I would use ice for at least the first three to seven days. In a food, okay. Where there's inflammation, swelling, and for after an acute or a recent injury, we want to always try to reduce the inflammation. So ice would be the way to do that rather than using heat. Heat soon after an injury can create more inflammation because part of the inflammatory process, we generate heat. So if we're creating, if we're adding heat to a, an already uh, a situation where we're already generating heat from the nature of the injury and increased blood flow to an area of injury, then we can actually make the make that those symptoms worsen. So we can have worse worsening of swelling, worsening of pain and symptoms. Okay, great advice there. Wow, I've learned two new things that I haven't heard about. Okay, so continuing on this home treatment, so. Uh, over-the-counter medication. Yes. Yeah, that's an excellent topic. There are there are two two main categories of over-the-counter medications. We have non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, people call them. So non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, obviously, they're not steroids. Uh, they are they affect enzymes within our body. That's how they work. They they prevent inflammatory. Um, uh, the generation of inflammatory chemicals in our body is how they work. And so those would be the, the versions um, that folks would see off the shelf at, you know, your drugstore would be ibuprofen and naproxen. So those are the two. So Aleve and ibuprofen okay, uh, would be common names for that. Um, and so those are NSAIDs, and they reduce inflammation. They can reduce pain, inflammation, and, and, and swelling. Okay, going back. Gary, yes. Gary has a lot of follow-up questions, yes. Doc. Uh, so we're talking about dosage. Yes. People uh, sometimes think I'm going to take 10 Advil or I'm going to take 10 ibuprofen. Yes. Is that good or bad? So although they're over the counter, they can have dangerous effects on the body. So you you don't want to exceed the dosing listed on the bottle. In general, for um, in the dosing, really, we always want to use the minimal effective dosing of a medication. If we're mega dosing, this isn't a vitamin and you can have major effects on the body, including the heart. You can have effects on the blood and the, um, the propensity for blood to, um, to, to bleed, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. they do thin the blood to an extent through their mechanism. So they can promote bleeding. They can also have effects on the heart. So especially in long-term users who especially have a heart condition, you need to be careful using the, even those over-the-counter NSAIDs, the Advil, the Aleve. Um, we also want to be careful. We have stomach issues, so ulcers, ulcerative colitis, 
grease blocks, GERD, heartburn, those are things that can be made worse by NSAIDs as well because NSAIDs reduce the protective secretions of the, in the lining of the stomach. So they can create more of an issue with the reflux, heartburn, ulcerative issues in the body, gastric ulcers. If you're on a blood thinner like warfarin, Plavix, you really need to be careful and should probably not be using any of those types of NSAIDs unless your physician specifically indicates that it's safe to do so. And you'd want them to monitor that because you could end up in, with major difficulties fairly quickly. Folks who have renal failure, you should not be using any NSAIDs unless it's ex explicitly discussed with your either nephrologist or your primary care provider because you could do some serious damage to your kidneys. In the same vein, we want to be careful with long-term use of NSAIDs without any supervision from a physician because you can put yourself into renal failure. You can cause irreversible damage to the kidneys if you're not careful. Um, so uh, continued follow-up with yes. a physician because if Absolutely. you... If you Overdose. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. hearing people. Uh, uh, I don't know if you recently read the the, the, the backside of Advil. It's very confusing, yes. even to seniors like me. Yes, uh, I have to call my physician sometime when I have to read some of these. But it, but it, you know, it says up to four per day. I think it's something like that uh, generally. But sometimes you get effect by taking one or two. Right. Correct. It depends on the person. Depends on their system. Yes. Depends on the injuries. That's correct. Absolutely. So there's no need to take four automatically. No. And if you're taking if you're going beyond the dose, then you really, you could get in trouble fairly quickly. You don't want to use these for more than about one to two weeks if you're using them. And I wouldn't use them at the maximal dosing every possible chance of using that medication. You want to use them when needed during that time and then taper off of using them at that time. Okay, one, one quick follow-up question. Yeah. So, um, my personal physician told me, because I, I take Advil. I'm talking personal here. Yes. It's all right. Uh, he told me it's very important that I eat something before I take these NAS. Absolutely. He said it's, it's because, yes. Go ahead. Because of those effects on the on the gastrointestinal, so the stomach. The stomach is affected. If we eat on an empty stomach, those effects are going to be magnified and more noticeable. So always take those NSAIDs with food. In fact, you know there are many medications that we're using for inflammation, for pain that we do want to take, in, including the narcotics, which are not over the counter. The Tylenol is the other one we didn't really touch on, but that is not an NSAID, and we'll talk maybe a bit more about that. Come back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A Bears, Tending Country of Shreveport. Your Dodge Chrysler. Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is Dr. Jason Kinkars, Ken, who is a orthopedic surgeon with the Orthopedic Clinic of the Willis-Knighton Health System, and he's discussing how to treat and identify various problems and injuries of the muscular skeletal system. So thank you, Dr. Jason, for joining us today here. Thank you for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. So we're talking about home treatment of orthopedic injuries. We talked about the the, the NAS, the non-steroidal, I hate that acronym. Yeah, uh, the, the NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And that's generally the Advils, the Naprosyn, the Aleve. Yeah. And uh, ibuprofen. Yes. So the other option is Tylenol. Yes. So Tylenol is not an NSAID. Uh, it is. It's a pain reliever. It also treats fever. So it has less. Um, it, it is more limited effects and, uh, and and functions for us to use it as a medication than the NSAIDs, um, because Tylenol does not reduce inflammation. It uh, doesn't. So, no. So it reduces. It, it can reduce pain. It can reduce. It, it can reduce a, a high temperature. And so it doesn't have quite that same mechanism of action, the Tylenol. It doesn't work in the same way that the NSAIDs do, the Advil and the Aleve. And so you're not... So, so taking that, if you have swelling and if you have... If you have um, stress-related or not stress-related, uh, swelling, swelling, it's not going to help at all? It won't take the swelling or the inflammation down. It can make it feel better, but it, oh. it does not have the effect to, of reducing inflammation. So it's telling my brain that 
Forget about the pain yes. that I'm having. Exactly. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so it would not be the same risk on the kidneys, for example, or the heart, for example. It does have effects. It's it's broken down by the liver, so the liver will have more of an effect. It will certainly have um, difficulties if we use dosing that is too too high for the Tylenol. Um, and so that that's our major concern is, is liver, is the, the gastrointestinal system, but not... Um, not those concerns that we previously mentioned about reflux, for example, and heartburn, ulcers. That would not be the same concern with using Tylenol. Tylenol would not have effects on those types of problems. Kidney uh, Folks with kidney failure, they can also use Tylenol, unless they may have another issue that would prevent them from using that. Um, we mentioned not using um, the NSAIDs, the Advils, the Aleves, when, we are, when we're on a blood thinner. And also, you would not want to use those if you're already on a prescription NSAID. That would be things like Meloxicam, um, Diclofenac, uh, Celebrex. Those, oh, okay. ones, those are NSAIDs as well. And we try not to use more than one at a time because you'll magnify those effects on those organs that, may, um, that could be affected and even damaged by the, the usage of those medications. Hmm. So what other, are there any other type of supplements over the counter that can treat orthopedic injuries? That's really the mainstay would be the, the acetaminophen, which is the generic version of the Tylenol, and those NSAIDs, the Advils, the Leaves, so the generics for those are the ibuprofen and the Proxen. Um, there are other types of medications that can be used over the counter, but not, not for the acute type of injury. I mean, you could use um, things, there are some arthritis types of supplements, um, but uh, from, from a standpoint of acute injury, trying to get pain uh, down, swelling down, those would be the ones that we would be turning to. So then you have prescription, higher dosage? Yes. Prescription. What are some of those? Well, we have a prescription version of Advil. That's ibuprofen. It's an 800 milligram, which is Whoa. the upper limit of the dosing <laughs> on that. So okay. 800 is a big dose. And so you certainly don't want to get on using that type of dosage as an over-the-counter uh, type of treatment. You want to make sure you discuss that with your physician. Um, but those those other medications, they do have the same effect. And for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're still as a prescription. And part of it is probably industry. Part of it's insurance effects. And there is... You know, Changes. You know, you've seen some of the reflux medications, for example, have a previously prescription. Now they're over the counter. So there's a, a many different reasons why that happens, and uh, some of it's probably political. Some of it is due to insurance, etc. Um, but you know, the other medications aren't necessarily better. The over-the-counter NSAIDs are very good medications as long as they are not used for an extended period of time and that they're used responsibly. And if uncertain, definitely talk to your physician because that's what they're there for. They want to make sure that you stay healthy and safe, that you don't create an issue by treating another issue. So, further, any further home treatments other um, than what we just discussed? You know, the, the rice, using the anti-inflammatories, the NSAIDs and Tylenol, that's a good start. Um, working on, if, uh, if we are comfortable working on gentle motion, sometimes some conditioning as well. We don't want to let a joint get stiff, and that's true mainly for um, you know, the shoulder and the knee can get stiff. Even other joints can get stiff, so we don't want to... Could be completely, uh, you know, devoid of any usage of a joint or a limb. We want to try to encourage gentle motion so that we don't lose function and strength. So, so you're mentioning their range of motion exercises, right? Is that what you're trying Correct. to say? Correct. Yes. And and the, your physician, your nurses, or your staff, and in case they need more serious, you get home health or somebody to come there explain them, or an outpatient or inpatient. Uh, Correct. Home basis. Yes. Yeah. Outpatient or home physical therapy is a great addition in order to help folks make sure that they are making progress and. Having some one-on-one help. It's always a great addition to, to recovery from uh, an injury. So after all these other treatments don't work, but we but are 
or, or we find out that it is a fracture or cause a, some, some other s- scenario, then we go into more serious, right? Correct. You know, often folks will start out with an ER visit. Sometimes they get to their primary care provider. Um, and, uh, and from there, they'll usually start with some x-rays. You know, and I wouldn't discourage x-rays if there was something that were, you know, a deformity of a joint. So an angulated distal forearm or a joint that looks like it has been dislocated, I would get x-rays right from the beginning and get help immediately. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, if, you, if it's some mild ankle um, pain from a sprain, for example, and uh, you can put weight on it comfortably and, uh, and things seem, you know, seem reasonable, uh, especially if we have pain-free weight-bearing, it's okay to wait on it. But if you're ever uncertain... It's never a bad idea to get help to make sure that we can take a look, get an exam, and probably get x-rays. Typically with orthopedics, we start with getting x-rays because we can get a tremendous amount of information from just a simple x-ray. Well, uh, just a simple x-ray can quickly determine Absolutely. Yeah. whether it's is serious or not serious. Correct, yes. Wow. A good exam and an x-ray is, is hugely important to to success in treating an orthopedic patient uh, properly. So... You specialized in shoulder pain, right? Uh, we we certainly One of see yours. yes shoulders. We we see a, a tremendous number of shoulders in clinic. Um, other other parts of the body as well, but we definitely see a, a, a large number of shoulders. Yes. And wh- what's the common causes for that? Oftentimes, we're seeing rotator cuff tendonitis. And so it can be tough sometimes to know. Uh, even on exam, it's not always completely clear whether it's just some tendonitis and inflammation of the shoulder. So there's a bursa that lives. The bursa is like a it's a it's like a, a balloon. It's a pocket. Uh, it, it's a it's like a cushion essentially, and it can fill up with fluid as it becomes inflamed and painful. And so bursitis is something that, that can happen around virtually any joint. And so that's the other thing we think about in the shoulder is um, bursitis, tendonitis, mm-hmm. inflammation. But there are many structures around the shoulder, and getting a good exam is also important to um, allowing us to understand what it is. But most commonly, I would see, you know, once we're hitting um, 60s and beyond, we see a good, uh, a good amount of rotator cuff tendonitis. The rotator cuff is a sleeve of tendon that surrounds the ball of the shoulder joint. So the shoulder joint is a ball and socket joint, and around the ball of the shoulder, there is a sleeve of tendon. That is, that's the rotator cuff. So there are four tendons of the rotator cuff, and they can become inflamed and painful. They can also tear. That's that rotator cuff tear that everyone talks about. And if there's a full thickness tear of the rotator cuff, then we wouldn't expect that to go away with just a home treatment plan. We would want to probably see the orthopedic surgeon to get more input. So going back to the the tendonitis and bursitis, is that treatable via... Does it go away by itself if you treat it? It is treatable and can be treated on on a patient's uh, of their own initiative. It can be challenging and, um, you know, it, it can take some physical therapy anti-inflammatories and ice to reduce inflammation. Sometimes, um, you know, and if it gets to the point where... Does the fluid go away? It can go away if we treat if, if we treat the problem um, properly, yes. So your body fights it, and as yes. and, and long as you don't it, exacerbate it or do things to, to keep... Yes, yes, it, it, the fluid can go away, and the problem can be resolved. And so if, if, it's, if it goes away quickly, I would say I'd probably give it the one to two week mark. If, things are, if you're struggling or things are getting worse, then you'd want to see somebody for the problem. Um, and and it, it may just start with some simple physical therapy, having a professional treat and, uh, and help you to get through the proper exercises, knowing what, uh, what to do and how to do them. So you can do those at home as well as with formal physical therapy. So go, going back to the, the 
torn tendons in the rotator cuff. How, yes. What is that caused by? Is that age related? That the tendons are weakened and I'm 68 and they're starting to get a little bit old? You know, it, it is from usage <laughs> of the shoulder. Now, there, there are different ways to tear a rotator cuff. Most often, there are these degenerative types of attritional types of wear and tears of the tendon. Over time, they wear away, they tear. Uh, it's Part of it's a blood supply issue to the tendons. Uh, it's from usage. It basically, it comes down to it's from your genetics and your environment. Your environment is what you've done up to the point of, you know, throughout your life. The genetics, well, that's what mom and dad gave you. And so there are, is an interaction of both that really results in the final, the final product in the patient, whether the shoulder has tendonitis, whether there's a tear. Um, and so there are, there are those main factors that would determine. So if, if uh, a senior or even ju- a younger person is going to the gym and is doing certain exercises improperly for lifting la- weights, lifting? lifting weights, that could cause problems with their, their rotator cuff, right? Poor technique. Could, Poor technique. Yes, advancing, your, advancing weight lifted too quickly. Usually I'd say, you know... Starting with uh, with light weight where you could do, you know, 15 repetitions uh, or more, and you'd want to slowly advance weight maybe 10% every two weeks. So something slow and steady. Yeah, don't try the 250-pound exactly. weights and do those 15 times. Yeah. No, you got to hurt You, you want to build up a good foundation to, to build upon and get stronger, not just kind of push through quickly in a week and try to get to your maximum weight. That's a dangerous approach. Joining me on my show today is a special guest is Dr. Jason Kinkars, who is an orthopedic surgeon with the Orthopedic Clinic of the willis Lighten Health System. He's giving us some information about treatment of various problems and injuries of the muscular skeletal system. So thank you, Dr. Jason, for joining us today here. Thank you, Gary. So we have a lot of topics to cover, but I think one of the most important topics dealing with seniors and boomers is dealing with treating knee arthritis, right? A lot of us, us, as we age, we're going to get that particular arthritis in the knees. Absolutely. We see, I mean, every orthopedic clinic uh, is... It's definitely a steady stream of knee arthritis that we see, and uh, it can be a challenge. Um, we certainly, again, the same idea. Always want to start non-operatively and see what we can see, what kind of symptom improvement we can have with just some basic treatment. And uh, so it is extremely common. Yes, so what what causes it? What causes arthritic? The condition. the ends of the the bones in in um, knee in joint in the knee joint it's lined with a smooth slippery glassy substance called articular cartilage, so it, it's uh, very low in friction, and within the joint the joint is contained by essentially a balloon you can think it uh, think of it as so within the balloon there's a very small amount of fluid that is extremely slippery it's made by the lining of the joint and so that's how the knee glides and works free of friction. Um, there are also other structures like fibrocartilage. So the meniscus is a different type of cartilage. The meniscus, you can think of it kind of like a cushion between the ends of the bones. And it's strong in certain orientations but weak in other orientations. And so what, what knee arthritis is, now there are many types of, arthri- of arthritis or arthritis. Osteoarthritis is your kind of wear and tear arthritis of the knee. And it usually happens on the inside part of the knee, right at the joint line area. So the inner part of the knee is where we... People will typically point when you're talking about my knee hurts, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's the it's your folks in 50s, 60s, and, and above. They're talking about pain in their knee, and it's it's very often knee arthritis. So it's thinning of the articular cartilage, thinning and damage and fraying of the articular cartilage. So it becomes more of a fuzzy appearance rather than a slippery, glossy type of appearance, and uh, it becomes very painful, especially as we have nerve endings in the bone 
um, that are a short distance from the articular cartilage become sensitized and painful and give the, our brain the sensation of pain from the damage within the knee. Again, the inner side of the knee is by far the most common. So you might look more like a bit of a bow-legged knee rather than a straighter knee that you might have had when you were you know, 20 or 30 years prior. So it's a it's a degenerative condition in the knee, and uh, can be very painful. It can be it can result in knee loss of knee extension and flexion. So bending and uh, straightening the knee, fluid and swelling in the knee, and that fluid and swelling can also limit the motion of the knee because it's like having water in a water balloon. The the joint lining is like a balloon. Fill it with water. You can't bend that knee as much. And so there's some basics for treatment uh, of knee arthritis. And what about you hear these about individuals getting injections of some the, the absolutely corn. that that's yes. like putting a lubricant in your between your knees correct yeah there are there's some great treatments we have if from an injection standpoint which isn't always the first treatment but it is often very successful there are two types of medications we can inject into the knee by by and large we use two two main groups of medications one would be the corticosteroids so it's like an injectable version of prednisone basically so there are many different names to different kinds they're all the, the same idea is they work at, uh, they work on the cells in the knee to reduce inflammation and pain they reduce fluid and swelling they make the knee feel like a normal knee again it does not it doesn't make the x-ray look better it makes the knee feel better <laughs> same thing with the lubric those lubricant medications they are all hyaluronic acid derived medications some are made synthetically so they're made in a lab some are derived from animals for example the uh, the rooster comb types of injections uh, and so we've had some good um, breakthroughs in technology there where we're doing fewer injections or using different chemical uh, molecular structures of these types of medications. And they can give sometimes up to, these injections can give up to six months of relief. Cortisone, maybe not as much, but some folks get no relief. So it's hard to know unless you try them. But I think it's very smart to start with low-risk uh, low treatments to try to get these patients better. Um, before we get to injections, sometimes we talk about... Um, so physical therapy, home exercises, low impact, so bicycle, swimming, elliptical, walking, those are good to use. Sometimes we talk about a compressive knee sleeve just to make that knee feel a bit more secure and perhaps we maybe reduce a bit of the fluid and swelling, which we call effusion. Effusion is free fluid in the knee that happens when there's any inflammatory process. <clears throat> so, oh, well, the, that's what I want you to emphasize is that uh, you, I hear individuals out there that, that say I'm getting injection and somebody says my knee hurts. Well, I'm going to tell my doctor I need one of those rooster. That's not the first line of, of treatment. It, it can be, um, but the, the thing is those are expensive and insurance often does not want to pay for those. So it's also very reasonable to, to start with you know, the things like the physical therapy. therapy right. um, unloader braces. An unloader brace basically tries to help to realign that knee a little bit externally rather than trying to do something internal. It oh. tries to realign that knee in a bit of a straighter position to unload the worn area. So that's also reasonable. But, you know, but, but tell the listeners if they do that, it's not going to instantly change their alignment, correct? It correct. takes a while it, to bones to, to adjust. It does. And, you know, if you took an x-ray in the brace, you probably wouldn't see much difference, but it can be just enough to help them feel better. And that's what we're after. We want the folks to feel good, to be active, and to get back to their normal activities. Wow, that's remarkable. So then continuing, we have the new, the latest high-tech surgery for knees, right? Uh, there are many different types of surgeries for knees. When we're talking about arthritis of the knee, arthroscopy typically 
isn't or shouldn't be the first line of treatment unless the main issue is a meniscus tear. The menisci are those fibrocartilage structures that cushion. It's really a load distributor when we're talking about the meniscus. It distributes the load more equally across the, the tibial, the, the, the shin bone at the plateau, the top part of the knee articulate, the knee joint. How does the doctor know that you've torn your meniscus? Is it- Exam is part of it. Sometimes we talk about getting an MRI. Um, when we have arthritis, an x-ray that shows arthritis of the knee, and you always want to make sure that that x-ray is weight-bearing. If you're not bearing weight, you may not see that narrowing of the joint, which helps us to understand what the diagnosis is. But with arthritis of the knee, we know that those patients are going to have degenerative <coughs> meniscal tears. And so it's not something that is surprising. And oh, it's not okay. something that you would necessarily want to go after treating surgically, which would be arthroscopy, mm-hmm. minimally invasive, if you're treating a meniscus. For knee arthritis, we have many... Well, for knee arthritis, the, the more um, substantial procedures involve replacing parts of the joint. They can be total knee replacements involving the entire joint, the kneecap joint, the inner and outer knee joint as well, or we can do partial knee replacements. That would be the kneecap joint or the inner or the outer. So there are different versions of knee replacements, and that depends on which areas of the joint are worn. And that's, that's, that's important that you tell our listeners, because some people think knee replacement's a knee replacement. Everybody's the same, but it's not. And no, I keep correct. telling some of my readers and listeners, there are many. And though your friend across the street might have had a knee replacement, it, it needs to be more defined. Is that correct? correct? Yes, yes. We want to tailor the plan specific to the patient and their problem so that we're not over-treating, but we're also making sure we, we do what we need to do to get that pain better. And, you know, the terminology and, and information is, is pr- probably pretty critical. Yes. But what are some of the good orthopedic websites that some of the patients could go to? Uh, from our Academy of Orthopedics, that's the AAOS, so the American uh, Orthopedic Academy, they can go to AAOS. AAOS.org. Um, there is also, uh, they have an information um, site as well. That's orthoinfo.org. So O R T H O I N F O, that's one word, dot org. And there are some patient handouts there for some basic home exercises for all parts of the body. So that's also a, a good uh, site. If you're looking for um, board certification and credentialing of orthopedic surgeons, you can go to the ABOS. That's the American Board of Orthopedic Surgeons, and that's also .org. So ABOS.org, and you can search for physicians, kind of see um, credentials and their training, and uh, get some information on them there as well. If you want to look at the the state medical um, website to look for, um, you know, in Louisiana, that would be the uh, Louisiana State Board of Medical Examiners, so lsbme.la.gov. You can also find information on physicians there. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Jason, for joining us today. You can call him for more information at 318-212-3610. Again, that's 318-212-3610. Perfect. Yes. And they're located at 7925 Yuri Drive on the second floor, right? Yes, that's the Portico uh, Shopping uh, Plaza there. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank, thank you. you. Uh, if you have more information or want to contact his office for an appointment, do make a call for him. Thank you again thank for being Thank you so much, Gary. It was a pleasure. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Caligas wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to the best of times on 710 Kiel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for the best of times. This is News Radio 710 Kiel. K-E-E-L. Shreveport Bossier.